Thanks for checking out our weekly podcast. Our mission at Grace is to help people worship God, connect to others, and serve both. We hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. For more information about Grace, you can follow us on Facebook or check out our website at experiencegrace.church. All right, well, if you have your Bibles with you, be in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And while you're looking up Ephesians chapter 4, I wanted to uh, remind you of one other uh, event that's taking place. It's just in uh, three, I think two weeks, three weeks, somewhere. It's March 17th, I believe it is, our anniversary Sunday. Yeah, March 24th, there you go. Uh, It's in three weeks. March 24th is our anniversary Sunday. We'll be celebrating 16 years as a church. And so we always do some special things on that day, and I hope that you'll make plans to be a part of it. Our goal is to try to get everyone that calls Grace their church home all here on one day. And so if there's someone that you've been missing to seeing at church, it's probably because they're in the other service, but you don't know that for sure. So if you know, think of someone that you haven't seen in a while, I want to encourage you to invite them to be a part of uh, that special day uh, on the 24th. Before we get started, I did want to read one other thing. Many of you participated in the um, Hugs from Heaven campaign, where we tried to give some gifts to some children that are in foster care, and we were able to bless, I think, 63 children in foster care here in Tazewell County um, in that way, and we received a thank you card. It says, Dear uh, Friends of LSSI, it says, Through your general contributions our children were able to have a beautiful Christmas many of these children have uh, been through and seen more than most of us could ever imagine through your time and donations they were made to feel like any other child waiting for Christmas morning for some this was the first time to ever receive a gift we wish it was possible for you to see the uh, light in their eyes as the gifts were delivered to their homes and the tears our staff shed as uh, as we watched their excitement thank you so much and may God bless you richly, the children and staff of Lutheran Social Services. So I wanted to share that with you guys because that's a blessing. And uh, many of you don't get a chance to see the other end of it. And we wanted you to know uh, that your blessing uh, did make a difference to someone else. All right, Ephesians chapter 4. Um, I wanted to let you know that uh, last week, you know, the weather's getting nice. And so I decided to go miniature golfing. And it was in my son's bedroom um, because... He has one of those Oculus things. Have you guys seen the, the Oculus or the, the virtual reality system, right? How many of you guys have played mini golf on an Oculus or a VR? You guys need to start living life, all right? I'll bring you to church. We'll do it before and after the service next week, all right? But it's fun. Um, and and when, I, when I think of all of the different things that are out there um, when it comes to today's games, um, I, I think that even though everything's cool now, I feel like I grew up in the golden age of gaming right? As a matter of fact, we put a post out on social media recently, and we asked, uh, what was one of the video games that will forever be in your heart? And some of the games that we heard about were Super Mario Brothers, Tecmo Bowl, any Tecmo Bowl fans out there? Um, Zelda, Burger Time, Pac-Man, Galaga, Pitfall, and GoldenEye. I was a little bit disturbed that no one mentioned Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Are there any Mike Tyson's Punch-Out fans out there? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you did Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, you remember it started with Glass Joe. And you moved your way up. I think there was Von Kaiser. And then there was Don Flamenco, the guy with the rose in his mouth. He always wanted to knock that guy out. Um, King Hippo. Remember King Hippo? If you could hit him in the stomach, he'd make funny noises, and you could knock him out that way. You get to uh, uh, Bald Bull, and eventually you'd get to Mike Tyson, right? That was the, the, the precipice of the game there, the end of it. 
Um, and the way it started out is it, it started out easy and it got progressively harder. As a matter of fact, I've got a picture here. Uh, for those of you that want to go back to your gaming days, this is going up against Glass Joe. With Glass Joe, when he was coming in, if you hit him just right, he had a glass jaw. That's why it was Glass Joe. If you hit him just right, one shot, he wasn't getting back up. By the time you get to the end of the game, you're facing Mike Tyson, and that's how he swung. And if you got hit, that's how you looked. The next look was on the ground. One hit from Mike Tyson, and you were out for the rest of the game, right? Um, the reason I'm sharing this with you, and you'll understand in just a second, is because we've been in a series of messages, we're going to conclude today, uh, that we've been calling Made New. And what we're doing is walking through Ephesians chapter 4, and we're seeing how God makes us new. The Bible says if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things have become new. And what we've seen is that through Ephesians 4, he's telling us, here's some practical things on what it looks like to be made new as a child of God that is now in Christ. One of the things that we've seen consistently over the last 10 weeks is that we are made new within the context of community. Very rarely do we see uh, someone being molded into the image of Jesus Christ out there in isolation. It's usually done within the context of community, and Ephesians 4 really drives home that that community is the body of Christ. It is the church, right? And so when we come to the end of the chapter, he talks about how there are certain things that need to be put off, certain things need to be put on, and there is a renewing of our mind. It's truth that sets us free that enables us to put off and put on the things that we're supposed to do here. We call this God's spiritual training plan. And much like uh, in Mike Tyson's punch out, uh, the, most of the time when you get involved in a training plan, it kind of starts easy and then it gets progressively harder, right? And I'm not sure that I could say that the five things that we see at the end of Ephesians chapter 4 necessarily get progressively harder. But for many of us, I think that we could say that he did save the most difficult one for last for some of us this is our mike tyson right it's it's the one thing that hits us hard the thing that we see in verses 31 and 32 is something that you have seen it's something that you'll continue to see and it's something that will last throughout our entire lives because where you have community you have people and where you have people you have problems People will hurt you. People that love you will hurt you. So what are we supposed to do with those pains? And what are we supposed to do with those relationships? I believe that the answer is found in these two verses. And what we're going to see in these two verses is we're going to learn how God makes us new by learning how to forgive. One person said that there are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. There can be no love without forgiveness and no forgiveness without love. And so as we think about this idea of being hurt by others, even being hurt by others that claim to love us, um, we, we talk about forgiveness and the blueprint for forgiveness is found in verses 31 through 32. So, throughout the last part of this series, as the last four things we've gone through, we've started with the things that we need to put off, and then we went to the things that need to be put on, and then we talked about how we renew our minds to enable those things to happen. But today, we're actually going to start on the other end of it, and we're going to talk about the things that need to be, the thing that needs to be put on. So let's see it in verse 31 and 32 in Ephesians 4. 
He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I think it's very clear as you read through these verses, he's leading with the things that need to be put off, and then he finishes with the thing that needs to be put on. And very clearly in verse 32, it's very clear that what needs to be put on in the life of every believer, the thing that makes us new, is when we put on this thing of forgiveness. Forgiveness can be defined as this. It means to release someone from your desire to pay them back. It's an act of your will in which you give up the right to hold another person accountable for the wrongs that they have done to you. It means releasing that person from any obligation to ever make things right with you. Well, it's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? That's why it's so quiet in here on a Sunday morning. You guys normally aren't this quiet, but whenever you bring up a subject like this, it brings up some serious pain. As a matter of fact, when you read verse 31, the the things that are listed there presuppose pain. They presuppose that you can't experience bitterness and wrath and anger and malice and all these things unless someone has inflicted some kind of pain. Whether that pain is abuse or being lied to, stolen from, bullied, treated unfairly, If you haven't already learned in life that whenever you go through pain, one of the tendencies we have, tendencies we have, is to try to inflict that pain upon someone else. The easy way to remember that is something that you've heard before probably, it is that hurt people hurt people. Because when you hurt, the natural reaction is to extend that hurt back to someone else. The last thing we want to do when we endure pain is forgive, right? When we look at the word forgiveness that's used here, the the root word in the original language is the word charis. And it's the same word that's translated in other passages of Scripture as grace or favor. And the word that's used here for forgiveness, it's an action word. And and the, the English word even shows that forgiveness right right in the middle of it to forgive means that you are by by action you are doing something you are extending some kind of grace or favor when we're hurt or wrong what kind of action do we want to take (laughs) not grace not favor we want justice right if you've been around here for a while you've probably heard me tell the story several times about my cousin tiny and if you know anything about someone named tiny they're not uh, right? And tiny, Chris, was, uh, he fit the mold for that, uh, that, that explanation of the name. He was a big old boy. And I was in seventh or eighth grade. We were going to Olympia, and I lived in Danvers. We had to drive uh, a ride on the bus all the way to Olympia and ride back. And on the way back, Chris did what, or tiny, his real name's Chris, he did what uh, he would always do to me. He always punched me in the arm. And I was, you know, a punk little seventh or eighth grade kid. No offense to any seventh or eighth graders in here. Uh, but I was a punk. I don't know if you are or not. Ask your parents. They'll tell you. All right? But Chris would punch me in the arm, and he was so much bigger than me. It really hurt. (laughs) And I don't know if I had had a bad day or what, but I was on the bus. He punched me in the arm, and I just... I lost it. I was, I was not ready to forgive, but I was ready to give him something. So I turned around and gave him everything I had. I punched him right back in the arm, and he laughed at me. And I was like, that's not the way it happens on the WWF, right? Because I watched a lot of that, right? And so he punched me, and so that made me even more mad. So I hauled off as hard as I could and punched him again. 
And he laughed again. And he turned around and punched me one more time in the arm. He thought we were playing. I went crazy, right? I went nuts, and I just started swinging. And I'm not sure everything I said. I'm not sure how well, how well those punches were thrown. But I was screaming and yelling and throwing punches. I don't think any of them landed. And the, there was an older lady that was driving the bus at the time, and she's pulling me back. And I'm still swinging, and Chris is yelling, and he's, he's saying, what are you going to do? You're going to go home and tell your mama? Mmm. Say that to a 7th or 8th grade. Say it to a 44-year-old. It still upset me today, right? It's, so I tried to jump over the seats. I was on the steps. I tried to jump over the seats, and the lady's pulling me by my feet. When he had done me wrong, I wanted to give something. I wanted to give justice. We can, we can laugh about that, but isn't that what we feel working up inside of us when we experience pain? What we want to give them is actually spelled out for us in verse 31. We want to give them bitterness. We want to give them back wrath. We want to be angry. We want to clamor. We want to speak evil about them. We have malicious intent behind the actions that we, have, that we desire to give them. But God comes along in verse 32 and says, I've got a different idea. Let's try something different. Instead of that, be kind. Instead of that, be tenderhearted. Instead of that, forgive them. And this is where we see this idea that he talked about earlier in the passage, there are certain things that need to be put off and there are certain things that need to be put on. The things that need to be put off are, it's the action. It's forgiveness is an action word. Uh, it's more than just forgiving them in your mind, like, all right, I forgive them. No, there's some action word to it. As a matter of fact, this is what it looks like to learn how to forgive. It's when we put on forgiveness by putting off the things that we see there. First off, he says to put off bitterness. How many of you guys have a phone on you? Take your phone out real quick. This would be a crowd participation. I, I thought that would be fun. Take your phone out and uh, turn on your camera. Now, if you're really slow at this, you'll catch up later. Right? Don't worry about it. But go ahead and turn on your camera, and I want you to put it on reverse facing so it's, you're going to take a selfie. You guys know how to take a selfie? I know you know how to take a selfie, all right? Okay, so I want you to point the camera at yourself, all right? And we're all going to take a selfie for a second, all right? Okay. I want you to take out an imaginary piece of candy. You open it with one hand. No one's opening. Open your candy, guys. Come on, this is going to take longer if you don't. Open your candy, and you put it in your mouth. All right? What you've just put in your mouth is one of those warheads. All right? I want you to make the face that you would make with that bitter, sour taste and take a selfie of yourself on three. Make the face, take a selfie. Here we go. One, two, three. All right, now look at the selfie. All right? Show the person next to you your selfie. Show the person behind you your selfie. They already saw it anyway. They were looking over your shoulder, all right? You say, that's kind of dumb. Why are, we, why are we doing this in church? So we can share all of those on our church Facebook page and let them know how beautiful of a place it is to come to grace, right? No, the, the reason we do that is because if we were to look at some of our spirits, that's what our spirit would look like. Bitterness. Bitterness means to hold a grudge. It means to have a deep-seated resentment. You see, your face doesn't always say it. Sometimes it does. But your face doesn't always say it, but your spirit, whenever a certain person's name comes up, that's what your spirit looks like. 
And God says, if we're going to put on forgiveness, we've got to put off bitterness. Not only do we put off bitterness, he says to put off wrath. We've talked about this in the past, but just as a reminder, wrath is the blow-up kind of anger. It's that idea of water that's boiling. If you've ever watched Dude Perfect, anybody ever watched Dude Perfect? It's the rage monster, right? Uh, if you've never watched Dude Perfect, it's law and order, right? It's second-degree murder. It's you walked in, you saw something, and you didn't plan it out. You just, ha, ah, went crazy and killed somebody, right? And so that's what this is. Wrath is that that uh, that kind of anger that happens suddenly the next one is regular anger it's the same root word that's used in verse number 26 this is more of a a resentment or a a negativity that just kind of permeates all of life it's it's the mindset of just being consumed uh, with being upset an attitude of anger. The next one is clamor. This word clamor uh, we don't use very often, but almost every other time you see it translated in the New Testament is translated as cry or crying. And it's not referring to like the emotion of tears coming out of your eyes, but rather it is uh, a sense of, of shouting or instigating that incites violence. When I was in high school, I was a clamorer. I was an instigator. I liked to watch people fight. We didn't have UFC yet, you know, so I couldn't watch it on TV. I wanted to watch it at school, right? And so if I saw two guys kind of going at it a little bit, I'd be the guy over there clamoring, going, oh, you're not going to let him talk to you like that, are you? Do you know what he said about your girl? You know, kind of that kind of thing. I want to watch them fight. That's what clamoring is. Clamoring is that instigation, which a lot of times leads to the next one, which is evil speaking. In the original language, the word evil speaking is blasphemia. Anybody think of an English word that maybe comes from blasphemia? Blaspheme. When you think of blaspheming, you think of blaspheming God, but he's not talking here about blaspheming God. He's talking about blaspheming others. This means to vilify another person. It means to injure their name or their reputation. If you were to uh, put this into the legal system, this would be being sued for defamation of character. That's what he's talking about here, evil speaking. It's trying to talk bad about someone else. And of course, the last one is malice. Um, this refers to our intent. When you think of malicious software, uh, malicious software is software that has uh, some kind of intent to create havoc or to create problems. And a lot of times that's the intent behind our words. It's the intent behind our actions towards certain people. Is it's, it's malicious. It's a desire to create some havoc for them or problems for them. Those things are to be put off. Next, he tells us what needs to be put on, and he tells us to be known by these two things. The two things that he gives us in verse 32 are not verbs. They're actually adjectives. These are adjectives that should describe the very essence of our being. These are the things that we should be known by. These are the things that should characterize the spirit of a child of God that has been changed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Look what they are in verse number 32. He says, be kind. Be known for being a kind person. It literally means to be useful or fit for use. This same word is the word that's used when when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy. That's the same word for kind. It's the same word that's used when it talks about the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance in the book of Romans. Goodness is the same word as kind here. When the Bible says that the Lord is gracious, again, it's the same word that's used here for kindness. So it's this this easy, good, grace-filled person. When you think of when you treat others in kind, it means that you're trying to treat them the way that you would want to be treated. 
Not only does he tell us to be kind, but he tells us to be tender-hearted. And my wife hates that I use this illustration, but I love sharing it because I think it's funny and it's also true. Uh, but whenever you see these, these words tender-hearted put together here, um, in our uh, culture, the heart is the seat of the emotions. And when he says tender-hearted, the word tender here means to be easily moved. So it means to have a heart that's easily moved towards others. I love that in their day, the heart was not the seat of the emotions. What was the seat of emotions, dear? Do you remember? You're not going to tell me. Um, the bowels, all right? Sorry, aren't you glad they changed that, right? Honey, I love you with all my bowels, okay? Um, but think of it as a pastor. Pastor, that message really moved my bowels, okay? <laughs> Sorry. And now you know why she hates that I use that. But the whole idea of being tender-hearted is this idea of being easily moved at the pain of someone else or easily moved at the joy of someone else. It's that, 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 that biblical idea, like Mark talked about earlier, it's rejoicing with those that rejoice and weeping with those that weep. And then he moves on to the last one in this verse where he tells us forgiving one another. If if we're putting off the things found in verse 31 and we're putting on kindness and tender hearts, forgiveness is the natural outcome. As a matter of fact, I think it, it would be wise for us not to start at the end of verse 32 by saying, I just have to forgive someone. I've got to put on forgiveness. Why not start with the putting off? And I'm going to do, by God's grace, and by God's power, I'm going to put off the bitterness and anger and clamor and wrath and malice. And I'm going to seek to be kind and tenderhearted. And as you do that, look what's going to happen. You're going to forgive them. It's the biblical way to forgive. This is how God works. God works in supernatural ways. What you see in verse 31 are things that are natural. Natural things that will only produce natural results. When we choose to be bitter, when we choose to be angry, you've heard it before, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die, right? One person said that without forgiveness, life is an endless cycle of resentment, and retaliation. I mean, just step back. Tell me, tell me about the people you know in your life that are unwilling to forgive others. And you answer the question, are they people that are happy? Are they people that are fulfilled? Are they people that are spiritual? Are they a joy to be around? Are they kind? Are they tender-hearted? It's usually the opposite. These verses are so simple. They are so practical. Uh, they essentially say, here's how to forgive, guys. Put all this stuff on, or put all this stuff off, and put all this stuff on. It's very simple. So why don't we do it? Why do we struggle with this? If we stopped right here, an unsaved person could do this. Or maybe an unsaved person could try to do this. If we stopped here, then we'd be sending you off with a game plan for behavior modification, to try harder to put those things off and to try harder to put these things on. But don't forget the spiritual training plan that Paul is setting out for the church at Ephesus and the, Paul, uh, the, the church here in Trecon, all right, um, Tremont Pekin, uh, for the church here is he's telling us there are things that need to be put off and there are things that need to be put on, but what's the middle one? We have to 
renew our minds. We have to see the truth that sets us free, the truth that enables these other things to happen. If we don't get this last part, we're missing the key ingredient. It's like when my mom, people, she used to be a baker, and uh, I think you might still be, uh, not as good as you once was. Uh, I'm just kidding. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. But she would, she would make this icing. People say, can I have your icing recipe? And she'd say, sure, I'll give you my icing recipe. And she would always leave out one ingredient. Because she couldn't have everybody making the same thing as her. Pray for my mom, all right? <laughs> but if you, if you leave this part out, you're missing that one thing. You go, I don't understand why it doesn't taste right. <laughs> Jennifer's doesn't taste like this. They're able to forgive. Why am I not able to forgive? Look at that last part. He says, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. The truth that renews my mind and enables me to put off anger and put on forgiveness is that I am forgiven. The way I forgive them is the way that God forgave me. When we go back and think about the things that we've talked about here, where you have people, you have problems. And is that not true for us? We have problems. We have sinned. We have hurt God. We owe God a debt. And when you stop and think about your sin against God and your need for forgiveness, do you see God's posture towards fallen man as being consistent with verse 31 or being consistent with verse 32? Do you see God's posture towards fallen man as bitter and angry and wrathful and all? No, his, his posture toward us is one of kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness. And we see that in the gospel. His willingness to send his son to the cross for us. He did not offer us justice. He offered us grace. That's what forgiveness is, right? The root word is grace. And he gave us grace by sending Jesus to the cross. His forgiveness was more than just a mental, oh, I'm going to let him off the hook. God could have established that in the Garden of Eden when the first sin was committed. He could have went and said, I know I told you not to do that. It's okay. But that's not what he did. In that moment, they covered themselves with fig leaves. He said that fig leaves don't cover sin. Blood has to cover sin. And he killed innocent animals and covered them with those animal skins. And then he gave them the promise of the coming Messiah in Genesis 3 when he talked about Jesus Christ coming to conquer death hell and the grave you see he was kind to us he was tender-hearted to us and this was proven by his actions when jesus christ came to us you see when we think about the fact that christ has forgiven us oftentimes we bring that home in regards to our relationships with people that have hurt us we bring it home by saying things like look if god can forgive them then i can forgive them how many, would you say that sounds good? Like, if God can forgive them, I can forgive them. That sounds well and good, but that's not the focus of this verse. The focus of this verse is not, hey, I was able to forgive them, you need to be able to forgive them. The focus of this verse is not, God has forgiven them, I can forgive them. The fact of this verse is, God has forgiven me. 
And if God can forgive me, then I can forgive them. And this is why, as we said just a few months ago in a series called The Gospel on Repeat, we need to have the gospel on repeat. Because we have people who have problems, people are going to hurt you. And the only way to have a relationship is for there to be forgiveness, because there are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. And the only way that I can truly forgive those that I love that have hurt me is to look to the cross and see how God loved me and was willing to forgive me, and then I can extend that same forgiveness to those that I love. I don't know if you remember, before Jesus was going to go to the cross, he met with the disciples in the upper room. And he told them, he said, I'm going to give you uh, a new commandment. Do you remember the commandment that he gave them? He said, the new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. And you hear that and you say, well, that's really not a new commandment because he had been telling them to do that. As a matter of fact, the golden rule was to do unto others as you would have them do unto you, Right? But he didn't stop there. He said, a new commandment I've given you. Love one another even as I have loved you. You see, the example that we have for treating others is not what I want others to do to me. The example that I have for the way that I treat others is the way that God has treated me. The way that God has loved me. The way that God has forgiven me. And I extend that same love and forgiveness to others. When we're struggling to put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, and we're struggling to put on forgiveness or kindness or tenderheartedness, we should preach the gospel to ourselves and be reminded of the forgiveness that we have in Christ Jesus. Be reminded that I am a new creature, and that is not my identity anymore. I am a new man. I have been made new in Christ. Of course, this brings up another dilemma. If we have been forgiven, and we're reminded of that forgiveness, why do we still struggle? How many of you guys would say, Josh, I've heard this before. I've heard this whole idea that in order to forgive others, I need to think about the forgiveness that I've been given, but I've still struggled to forgive. Would you, would anyone raise their, I'm raising my hand because I'm, I'm there. It still is difficult at times. I contend that there, is a ver- or that there is a truth that is weaved throughout the scriptures, and we see it in these verses. And it's not as easy to see in our language, but the original readers would have been more privy to what Paul was trying to say to them. Now, how many of you guys are English nerds? How many grammar Nazis are out there? Raise your hand if you're a grammar Nazi. How many of you guys know a grammar Nazi? They're like, there is, 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 is spelled with an apostrophe. Or your there is not supposed to have an apostrophe. How many of you guys have ever corrected someone, either in person or on social media? If you have, you're a grammar nerd, all right? If you're a grammar nerd, you're probably going to enjoy this last part of the message. If you're not a grammar nerd... Just try to keep up, all right? Okay, so I want you to see, this is really interesting. When you look at verses 31 and 32, there are two verbs that are found. A verb is an action, right? I'm from Tennessee, so my education isn't the best uh, when it comes to English, especially when it comes to Greek. But there are two verbs, and I know what a verb is. A verb is an action word, right? And he tells us to put away something, and he tells us to be something, right? Those are the two verbs that we see in this passage. In our language, these verbs... These things that we see here, we would call them commands. Or if you're a grammar nerd, you'd call it an imperative, all right? This is an imperative. He is, he is telling you that these are the things that need to be done. Uh, some examples of other p- imperatives would be brush your teeth, right? Uh, drive the speed limit, sit down. These are commands. 
One person said that the imperative is the grammatical mood of kings. Kings say, pay your taxes or else, right? It's an imperative. The New Testament is full of imperatives. One person counted over a thousand of them. There's 74 B's, just like we see here, to be uh, ye something, uh, be content, be merciful, be thankful, be sober. There are 30, be not, be not drunk with wine, be not weary in well-doing, be not afraid, be not overcome of evil. But here's where we get a little bit into the nerdy side of it. Imperatives can be found in two voices. One of them is called an active voice, and some of them are called passive voices. And all you, I can see the grammar nerds, they're like, yeah, tell them more. And everybody else is like, seriously, are we doing this? <laughs> so you have active imperatives, and you have passive imperatives. It's easy for us to think that all imperatives are active. An active imperative is when the action of the verb is being performed by the subject. It would be similar to me telling someone, Start working out. Working out is the imperative. Who is it that needs to start working out? The person that's being told, right? Stop eating junk, all right? That would be a command to do something, and the subject is the one that is supposed to be doing it. Um, there's another form of imperative, though, and this is the passive imperative. It means a command that is directed to you in which you are not the active doer, but rather a cooperator and a recipient of someone else's doing, yet you still retain the responsibility. This would be um, at our basketball games. A lot of times if we're winning big at the end or the other team is winning big at the end, you put in some of the lesser skilled players. And sometimes you put in some players that you can tell have maybe some developmental uh, issues or something like that or maybe they're just not very good uh, physically and that kind of thing and you try to allow them to get a shot you guys know what I'm talking about you see it on the news all the time you know where some you know the manager of the team gets a chance to shoot and as a coach you bring them aside and you give them a passive imperative you give them a passive command you tell them let the ball be shot right shoot the ball would be an active command you shoot it. Let the ball be shot means you let someone else shoot the ball. Are you guys following me? Still, still tracking with me? And so it's getting out of the Okay, this might make it a little easier. Cash the lotto ticket. All right? <laughs> Cashing the lotto ticket means you, you can't cash it, but you can let someone else cash it for you, right? You have the, the responsibility lies on you to either let them shoot the shot or let them give you the money, but they, they cannot do it unless you allow them to do it. The idea of a passive imperative is that you let someone do something. You have to get out of the way so that they can do their work. Can you guess which voice is being used in those two imperatives? Can you guess if this is an active command or a passive command? The Greek-speaking people would have seen it very clearly, but as English-speaking people, it's easy to read these verses as something we need to do. It's easy to read these verses and go, I need to put away bitterness. I need to put away wrath. I need to put away anger. I've got to get rid of clamor. I can't blaspheme and evil speak. I can't have malicious intent. And I've got to be kind. And I've got to uh, forgive. And I have to be tenderhearted. But the command or imperative in this ver these verses is not for us to do something but for us to let God do something and for us to get out the way. 
It is, uh, it is a passive command. The grammar of the New Testament teaches us a fundamental principle about the way that God works in the lives of believers, and it is this. God does the operation, and we're responsible for the cooperation. This is the essence of the gospel. When the Bible talks about being saved, who does the saving? Come on now, guys. Do you do it or does God do it? Who does the saving? God, good job, class. God does the saving, but he can't save you unless you allow him to do it, unless you believe the gospel, right? We are new creatures, and his desire is to make us new. When we talk about being made new, we've been talking about it for 10 weeks, and if you walk out of this place going, oh, I got stuff I got to put off, I got stuff I got to put on, if, if that's what you walk out, you're walking out believing that all of these are active commands, but they're not. They're passive commands. They're passive commands for you to just get out of the way, lay your desires aside side and let God turn you into a person that is kind and let God turn you into a person that doesn't express bitterness and anger and have malicious intent it is to allow God to transform us as a matter of fact in Romans 12 where it says to be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind Romans 12 guess what voice be ye transformed is in it is in a passive tense because here's the truth you can't transform yourself you can't do it only God can do it, and we must let him. Our responsibility lies in being open to his working, to being sensitive to his spirit, and being led by his word. And that's why verse number 31 starts with this. Let all bitterness and wrath. It's because God's working. If you're in Christ, you are a new creature and you are become new. And there's something inside of you that doesn't want to be bitter anymore. And there's something inside of you that doesn't want to anger and wrath and malice. And you don't want that malicious intent. And he's saying, you've got to step aside and allow those things that come up in your life that make you so angry and so bitter and so hurt to step back and say, God is doing something in this and I want to be a part of it. I want to allow him to do what he desires to do forgiveness is not something that happens in an instant with god it is and thank the lord that it is but for us it's a process that we call sanctification as god is making us more like his son jesus christ we're continually leaning into god's will and god's working so when those things come up we lean into god's direction for it we recognize that the people that have hurt us are not the enemy. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places. I'll conclude by sharing a story. Uh, when I got my first full-time uh, gig in ministry, I was working in Reno, Nevada. And I can remember when he offered me the, the, the pay, it was $24,000 a year. And I was like, "Woo, I'm rich. <laughs> I was going to be making $24,000 a year. My wife and I have been married for about a year. We moved to Nevada, and $24,000 a year was not nearly as much as I thought it was as a, as a Bible college graduate. And so we moved out there, and uh, we wanted to have children. I'll skip the story on that, but they told us we wouldn't be able to. Then, boom, God says, that I'm in charge. And so uh, Misty got pregnant with Emma, and with us making as little as we did, we didn't have any uh, insurance at that time. And so uh, we went in and we set up a payment plan with the 
woman doctor and all that stuff, you know, and uh, we were paying a certain amount every month, every time we'd go in, and the last one that we went in, we were about six weeks before the due date, I believe, is that right, six weeks or so, before the due date with Emma, my wife had preeclampsia, is that what it's called, preeclampsia, we should have went over this before the service, <laughs> but she had preeclampsia, and they rushed her in there, and Emma was born about six weeks early, and um, I think we left the hospital a day or two later, but then she wasn't able to stay home, so we had to take her back to the hospital for a week, and we got the bill, and it was a lot more than I made every year, right? And I felt like it was something that was insurmountable, like, you know, I can give you 100 bucks a month how, you know, for the rest of my life, you know, something along those lines. And somebody had told us that we should talk to someone in the finance office, so we did. We went and talked to them, and they said, well, you'll be hearing from us. And I can remember hearing from them uh, via mail. And I opened a letter one day, and when I opened it up, it said that they had completely forgiven the entire amount. And we didn't owe them anything. And it was awesome, <laughs> right? If you've ever been forgiven of that much, man, it's an amazing thing. It's a great feeling, and I'm thankful for that. And listen, that's what salvation is. It's a debt that we cannot afford that has been paid. We just have to accept it and let him forgive us. And then what we're talking about today, though, is once we're forgiven... We'll need to forgive. Because where you have people, you have problems. The truth is, we don't forgive others in order to be forgiven. We forgive others because we are forgiven. Look what he said in verse 32. Forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Forgiveness is an action word. The action that enables forgiveness is faith. Faith that God's way is best, faith that he can be trusted, and faith that he will do what you cannot. Learning how to forgive is not about looking at them, looking at yourself, or even the circumstances. It is looking to God in faith and believing that he can make you new. Let's pray together. Thanks again for listening today. Grace Baptist Church exists to help people worship God, connect to others, and serve both. If there's anything at all we can do for you, please reach out to us. You can reach us on Facebook as well as online at experiencegrace.church. Hope you have a great day.